Hello and welcome to Connect Points podcast and sermon archives. If you'd like to learn more about our church, please go online to our website at connectpointupc.com or follow us on our Facebook page. Thank you very much and I hope you enjoy this week's message. God bless. It is for me to be back here. I can't believe it's been 10 years. Uh, what a tremendous, tremendous delight it's been uh, me to participate and uh, for you guys to put up with me that long. You may go to heaven just for that. And uh, I do want to say, as you turn, I'm going to go to a couple passages of Scripture. We'll go to 1 Peter chapter 3. Then we'll go to Ezekiel chapter 3. Then Acts chapter 20. 1 Peter chapter 3, one verse there, verse 15, and then I'll... While you're turning there, I will um, just let me hand out some flowers. And I, I've said it every year, but it is a beautiful a boon to your leadership to understand the importance of a teaching uh, kind of structure like this. Uh, it is a growing phenomenon uh, that is being recognized as something very valuable around our organization and, and wider than that, even in our uh, movement. And I think that's fascinating that your pastor has had the vision to do this for 10 years. Would you give him a great big hand for his leadership? He and Sister Cox, their wonderful pressure on this thing. I was uh, uh, hanging out getting to talk to Brother and Sister Lair in their home earlier today, and I just want to say we love them very much. Thank them for uh, for everything that they've done to... um, uh, strengthen the movement, and uh, even make a way for me to come to the great Minnesota district. We love you all very much. Amen. So many friends in here that we should I should probably address, but I'll stop right there, and we'll have uh, the weekend together to talk some more. I, I want to read First uh, Peter 3.15. Uh, the Bible says, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Everybody say sanctify. sanctify. Now, the, the Lord God in your hearts, that's a beautiful little phrase. But the Bible doesn't stop there. You need to get your heart right with God. You need to sanctify yourself, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, the motives, the purity. But then he goes on to say, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks of you the reason uh, uh, of the hope that uh, is in you with, everybody say, meekness and fear. You're not there to notch a belt. You're not there to put a... Uh, uh, another little stripe on your Bible. I told that guy off, you know, with the truth. It's, it's instead you need to be able to give an answer to people because the beauty of giving an answer allows them to take a step of faith. And the Lord uses his people that have sanctified him in their hearts and have studied and been become ready by the top of you to give an answer. And God uses them as the vehicle by which people, uh, in that meekness that you bring in fear of the Lord, uh, a fear of, the, uh, of what is right, making sure that you're operating with that sacred approach to the Bible, that the Lord could use you. How many want to be used? All right, now that is a beautiful promise there and a challenge wrapped up together in that scripture. Let's, let me see, see if I can go to another couple of places. Ezekiel chapter 3 Uh, Verse uh, 16, the prophets writes by the Spirit of God, a wonderful challenge. It says, and it came to pass at the end of uh, seven days, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, I have made thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore, hear the word at my mouth and give them warning from me. What I say unto the wicked, thou shalt, when I say rather to the wicked, thou shalt surely die, And thou givest him no warning, 
nor speaketh to warn the wicked man from his wicked way. Everybody say, to save his life. See, that's the only reason God ever gives a warning. He's not trying to win debates either. He's trying to warn people so that they can be saved. And he says to the prophet, I made you a watchman. And if you don't, if thou speakest, nor speakest to warn the wicked man from his wicked way to save his life, that same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at thine hand. So God says, the judgment is sure, the judgment is true, and he's going to be lost anyway. So it doesn't matter if you're silent because you want to be accepted or you don't want to offend people. You don't help people uh, by telling them they're okay or remain, remaining silent when they're not okay. He says, yet if thou warn the wicked man and he turn not from his wicked, wickedness nor from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity, but thou hast delivered thy soul. Now, I just want to point out the beauty of the King James there. It's, it's a singular issue there. Thou and thy means you particularly have to every once in a while speak your conscience clean. Okay, so let, we'll give you just two more verses there. Again, when a righteous man doth turn from his iniquity and, and commit iniquity and lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die because thou hast not given him warning. He shall die in his sin and the righteous, uh, and his righteousness which he had done shall not be remembered, but his blood will I require at thy hand. That means if somebody's backsliding, you ought to talk to him. He says, nevertheless, if thou, thou uh, warn the righteous man, the righteous man uh, sin not and, and uh, doth not sin, he shall surely live because he is warned and thou hast delivered thy soul. So if you don't offer somebody that's in church wanting to do right, what they uh, need to hear in order to be saved, uh, God speaks to the prophet and says, I'm going to uh, require this at your hand. Let's go to one more verse of scripture, Acts 20. I promise I'm going to get to someplace good tonight. Don't panic on me. Acts 20, 26, and 27. The Apostle Paul is speaking, uh, and he says this, for, th this to the church, Wherefore I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. Now here's the Apostle Paul at the end of his life, Brother Tapia. He's saying, I want, I want to, I want to, right in front of all the leaders of the church, I want to take you to task to let you know I am free from the blood of all men. Paul, what are you talking about? How, why are you pure from the blood of all men? For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Now, what's going on in this particular passage of Scripture is uh, God is calling his body to a loyal opposition. In order to be loyal to God, you have to oppose some things. And I know that in our, our current climate, in our PC culture, and in the ABC moment, anything but Christianity, uh, that is an intimidating thing for the church of God to understand. But the apostle is saying that in, in this climate, on these issues, silence would be a sin. Now, you have to speak up the right way with wisdom and decorum and all that, Brother Herbs. We've got to make sure we say the truth in the right way with the spirit of meekness and fear, right? But you have to be able to share the truth. You have to be ready to give every man an answer of the hope that lies within you. 
So when you get in church, you're saved. And after you've been in church a while, there's this beautiful thing where church becomes mostly about ministering to other people. Now you're fed, you're encouraged, and you're challenged through the preaching, but every once in a while, there should at least be one service every once in a while where the pastor is not preaching to you. You should get to the point where in your maturity, church becomes mostly about you ministering to other people. And you're ready, you find if you allow the Lord to put you in the place so that you can be ready to give an answer, that's when you can lead people in the altar to receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost. That's when you can begin to teach Bible studies in your home and watch people to take those first fledgling steps of faith and you can find more spiritual nourishment and strength in serving than sometimes you do in the actual acts of uh, the services that maybe as a... Uh, uh, a growing Christian uh, that you count really dear. So I, I think the passage of Scripture, Matthew 27, uh, verse 58, I'll just allude to it tonight because uh, Andrew went really long. No, I'm just kidding. The Bible says that, that Joseph of Arimathea begged the body of Jesus. Now, uh, the, the Greek is very strong there. Hate uh, sato, it's not ask. It's to ask, but it's in the genitive case. It's strong. It means he begged for the body of Jesus. And, 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 that, and the beauty of that is he begged for the body of Jesus when it could not do one more miracle for him because Jesus was dead. And that's, you ready? Uh, that, that means you're going to have to be able to serve the church and to defend the body instead of it just serving you. So I want to encourage you in this weekend, maybe in this first little session, let me give you a little challenge to, to make sure that you're saying, God, here's my aim. I want to become so strong, so prepared in my faith that I can be used by you in the church, not just blessed by the church. I don't want to just be a consumer. I want to come and get what you have for me, but I want to make sure I'm participating in the revival, in the growth, in the nurturing of people's faith uh, so that they can become who you've called them to be. How many of you can say, amen, I want to do that? So if you're going to do that, you have to understand that there is uh, a role for the church to face battles. And Brother Herbst, you, you've uh, given me a little nice little launching pad. I appreciate that uh, tonight. There are battles outside the church. There are things that are going to attack, like Brother Herb said tonight, the Word of God. Now, the beauty of understanding those attacks is the discernment that Brother Herb was trying uh, in one case study to show you. Why? Because if I can't trust Genesis and what it says about the first Adam, Brother Herbst, how in the world can I ever take what it says about the last Adam? And if I can't accept Genesis, then how do I deal with salvation? Because if they got that first Adam wrong, how did the Bible get the last one wrong? And so all of those things are interconnected and their battles always uh, outside of the church and a result of uh, so-called what they call in theological circles higher criticism. But there's also battles inside the church. And so I want to have kind of an in-house discussion and we'll see how far I get tonight. Probably what I will try to do is split this up into two sessions if you'll just let me do that. If that's my alarm, let me know. <coughs> if I'm out of time, hallelujah. So I think it's uh, fascinating that uh, there, there, there are times that in spite of evidence, you just need to go ahead, and I know some of you young people are writing down notes. Just write this little reminder down to, uh, uh, for yourself. In, in spite of clear evidence, some people will not hear. Because it's not an evidential issue, it's a hard issue. 
And it's because of their desires that they listen for ways to attack the authority of the Bible. And that is a, uh, I understand that. They resist the authority of God in their life so they will not hear the truth that you're sharing. Now, you have to know that's the case, but I want to focus more on an in-house uh, discussion uh, tonight. I, I'll give you an example. There was a, a guy, his name was uh, Sir William Ramsey. He wrote a, uh, a he was an instructor, uh, an archaeologist, and a skeptic. He taught at the University of Edinburgh. And uh, in the 1800s, uh, early 1900s, uh, he said, the book of Acts is filled with errors. It's, who can even trust that? You crazy Christians uh, say that you believe the Bible. He says, um, Acts, uh, Acts is horrible because Luke is a terrible historian. He says, listen, I'm the, I'm the archaeologist. I'm the expert. Luke was crazy. He just made up stuff. So what he did is he traveled all over Asia Minor, and this is what he said. I'm going to prove that there is horrible history in the book of Acts. And if I can show you that Luke is a sloppy historian, why accept anything he says about salvation? How many of you see his point? Now, I just, I know I want to, I want to, I know that's a hard thing. You're like, well, I love the book of Acts, brother. Come on, I don't care what some crazy guy from Edinburgh says. But if the Bible has the history wrong, how do we know, how do we know that it doesn't have other things wrong? If the science is wrong, brother Herbst, if we can't trust what it says about young earth creationism, how in the world can I trust the other pieces of scripture? Okay, and what we're going to do is we're going to have to look at that. So, so William Ramsey travels around, and, and he says, I'm going to prove uh, that the Bible's wrong. He says, Luke is a sloppy historian in terms of geography and history, and if you can't trust that, you can't trust anything, he says. Now, here's what happened. He traveled and he, all over Asia Minor, and he came back to Great Britain as a believer. Why? He says, because every single fact checked out. He says, when I looked uh, at the pro-councils, guess what? Luke is right. In all the senatorial provinces, there were pro-councils. He says, when I went to Ephesus, guess what I found? I found the Asiarchs. He says, when I went to Thessalonica, guess what I found out? There were polytarchs there. Now, what's fascinating is the term polytarch in Acts 17.6 was unknown in Greek literature before Ramsey's study. And just because the historians and the archaeologists hadn't found it yet, Brother Herbst, didn't mean it wasn't true. And when William Ramsey went over to Thessalonica, he uncovered five inscriptions which said, guess what? There were polytarchs in Thessalonica. And he says, this is so accurate. This is the most true type of history we can found, find in antiquity. And, and, and he came back to a Great Britain as a believer. Now, I'm just going to tell you that when you're getting the picky details of history right again and again and again, if the history's right, you got to take the theology more seriously. And that's why you got to beware when people start attacking the historical accuracy of the Bible. Why? Because they're looking for a reason to dismiss the book. Right? And this is about the lawgiver. And if you can dismiss the law, the book of the law, you can dismiss the lawgiver. And so uh, I will just tell you that Ramsey wrote many books for those of you who like those types of things. He wrote The Church in the Roman Empire, St. Paul the Traveler, and uh, The Cities of St. Paul. And, and he just said the point is, Scripture will withstand any investigation from those willing to honestly look at the evidence. Right, so now, now let me just uh, do a little pressure tonight, and we'll see if we get to this. I, I don't know uh, Rev, uh, if we're going to get to that at all. 
So in our current age, there are pressions on the do- pressures on the doctrine of revelation. What do we mean by revelation? This book that we call the Bible. Now, here's the thing. Now, I love, I love all you apostolics. I like speaking in tongues probably uh, as much as more than you do. I love, I love the miraculous move of God's spirit. I love the real demonstration and the spiritual encounters that happen in our church. We cannot have church without those. We have to worship in both spirit and in truth, but we can't just worship in truth. We gotta worship in spirit. We would have dead letter without the connection of God in the spirit, and you can't serve God in your flesh. Can I get an amen? But you can't just worship God in spirit. You have to worship God in spirit and in truth. The reason that my experience, my encounter with God, I know is unique. It's different than every other spiritual encounter in the world. Like when people go into Hindu temples, Brother Herbst, and they have an encounter there with something at, a, at, a, at the temple of Shia, wherever they're going to go in. they got three million choices. They're having true spiritual encounters. When, when Muhammad said that an angel appealed, appeared to him, now I think, he got, I think he got it right the first time when he thought it was a demon spirit, uh, Brother Herbst, but he said something appeared to him and said, Muhammad, recite. He had a true spiritual encounter. It was, it was true in this sense. It was real. But the Bible says, Paul says in Corinthians, behind every idol is a demon spirit. And just because you're having a true spiritual encounter doesn't mean that that encounter is with God. It can be something demonic. So how do you know, Brother Kilman, that your experience with God is different than everybody else's? It's very simple. My experience is vindicated by the only book with a divine fingerprint on it. And if I don't understand that this is what makes me different than every other religion in the world, I'm going to be in trouble. So I know you believe all that. But it's, it's those constants, the pressures it's as old as Brother Herbst has already said in his clothes, hath God said in the garden. And the attacks are as current as certain types of books that are now being produced. Uh, I hate to say this, Brother Cox, but even in our own uh, apostolic movement, can it be true? Questions are asked. Can it be true? Yes. Well, can all of it be true? Yes. Can part of it be true? Some people say, well, yeah, only parts of it are true. And then, and there are only three choices. You either say, can it be true? Yes, all of it. Yes, part of it or none of it. That's your choices. And we're going to deal with that maybe uh, tomorrow. So uh, there are certain climates and, and pressures that allow things to exist. And I, I wish we had time to deal with that in Churchill, but I will, uh, I'll, I'll move on and uh, just kind of punch through tonight. So without the Bible, uh, as apostolics, we will fail. I'm going to give you some terms. You ready? We believe in the verbal, plenary inspiration of God. Now, what does that mean? The verbal, the very words, plenary, all of the written words are inspired. They're God-breathed. The words in total are God-breathed. Now, what, what, what does that mean, Brother Kilman? Well, it's like Paul says, writing in Romans chapter 3, verse 4. God forbid, yet... Yea, let God be true, but every man a liar, 
as it is written, that thou mightest be justified in thy sayings and mightest overcome when thou art judged. Paul says, if anybody is a liar in this equation, and I love what your pastor said, I don't come to change this book, I come to let this book change me. And if anybody's gonna be a liar, it's on the human equation, not this book. I don't stand in judgment of this book, this book stands in judgment of me. I am not over this book, this book is over me. Man, I'm going to get the preach on me if I'm not careful. I'm, going to, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you what I've been afforded by aligning my life with that book is better than what man could come up with, think up, and desire himself. My desires have got me in trouble. That book has shown me how to cooperate with the blessing of God and find the ends that only he can give. And so when you say that maybe this book is not true, maybe there's some errors in it, Maybe scientific errors, Brother Herbster. Maybe historical errors. Maybe the age of a king is wrong. When you start attacking the word of God in that way, that's nothing short than what Paul's showing in Romans 3. It's an assault on God's character. I knew that when I went to Christian Theological Seminary, I almost said cemetery. I knew that I was going to a place that didn't believe much about the Bible. They didn't believe in divine inspiration, that God literally gave them the words to write. I I knew that, Brother Tapia, they didn't believe in inerrancy. They didn't believe that they had a Bible without an error. And so how many of you are glad you have a Bible? And so when you're dealing with it, I knew I would face that outside of, of our movement, but now those arguments are coming inside our movement. If you'll forgive me for this tonight, uh, I, I want to share a little bit of my personal uh, kind of uh, what I feel my calling is. And I know this is not for everybody, but at some level, uh, you need to prepare yourself to give an answer. And so I know I have a unique calling, and, and I'm a teacher by, uh, by, ex- by calling, and that means I'm a specialist, Brother Cox. You're a generalist. You've got to teach Bible studies, counsel people. I mostly get to talk to young people, study a lot, and preach and teach. It's kind of fun. Brother Mooney said, every once in a while, I wish I had Brother Kilman's job. You know, he just gets to teach a lot and talk to young people. I said, thank you very much, Pastor. <laughs> so I, 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 I just went into the, in the uh, seminary that I went to. It was a very aggressive place that tried to strip this book, book Brother Herbst, out of my hands. They tried to rob me of my faith. And so uh, I, I went in and I just said, look, I'm, I, I begin with the assumption that the Bible's true. And they gave me things to read in the seminary that I had to read in order to get my very pretentious title degree, a, a de- Master's of Divinity. So I, I think at some level I deserve a double master's degree. Because not only did I have to read, uh, let me give you a great little Greek word, garbage. Not only did I have to read the garbage that they told me to read, I had to read other books to defend my faith. Uh, now, uh, help me with your name. Naya, yeah, Nairut. So Nairut, you asked me a question. Brother Kilman, did you ever question your faith? That's the process which the Lord put me through in that crucible that was called seminary. And I had to read not only the books that they gave me, I had to go find other books, Brother Herbs, like Donald Guthrie's uh, little work, Introduction to the New Testament. I had to find R.K. Harrison's book, Introduction to the Old Testament. I had to find B.B. Warfield's book, Inspiration and the Authority of Scripture. And so I had to read twice the books. 
Why? Because I wasn't going to take, Sister Lear, what somebody with a piece of paper told me. Now, what that means is a piece, somebody with a PhD is just somebody who sit in a room for a long time and listening to some teachers. That's all it means. You can be trained in miseducation. Or to quote, uh, Brother Mooney said, if you want to get away with saying something, Brother Kilman, you don't think you can say it, quote somebody else. So George Elwell said, there are some types of stupid you can only get through education. <laughs> and that means that, that, now I'm going to say this as kindly as I can, you have to understand that the truth that you're getting from this pulpit is most more powerful and more true and more accurate than most of the, forgive me, but most of the churches and the seminaries and colleges in this nation around the world. So thank God for a good pastor. He's a watchman on the wall. But what I think is fascinating, Sister Lear, is I think the Lord has prepped me, and I hope this is not uh, pretentious, but what I have seen in the seminary is now coming inside apostolic culture. The same language, and I think God sent me there for now. And I, I just want to tell you wonderful apostolic people that every time those people that were trying to strip the Bible out of my hands, Brother Tapia, asked me a question that I didn't know the answer to. I didn't hide. I didn't run and stick my head in the ground. I went back to the Word of God. I studied. I said, is this true? And every single time, my faith was strengthened. God's Word stood true and every man is a liar. So in the, uh, those attacks from the outside that started, I got to hurry tonight, in the 1900s with liberalism and anti-supernaturalism, what they said, they want to keep the ethics and throw out the miraculous, reduce God to, and Jesus to just some type of do good and social gospel. Now this is inside a lot of mainline churches, but today's liberals look down on the ethics of the Bible. You ready? Because they say your moral standard is lower than what we believe. Now that's the new climate that you're facing. Because what you believe about morality is actually a lower standard. You ready? And those attacks are now coming into the church as well. And it's like Carl Truman once said, it's not that we're losing the argument it's that no argument is being made. Therefore, we are losing the argument. Why? Because somebody's not ready to give an answer. Now, here's what I hope you young people will do. I hope the Lord will encourage you to say that I can not only prove that the Bible is in fact true, I can show the moral superiority of the Bible because the truth that's disclosed in that book we call the Bible is proven true in creation. And, I, and, and we'll spend a little time on that, Lord willing, uh, Brother Brom at camp, and we'll have a lot of fun showing them how to do that. Let me see if I can, I can, uh, I can wrap up tonight. So there is a, uh, if, if you give up the ground, I like how you said it, Brother Herb. She said something like, you can't save Scripture by uh, giving up or tearing parts of scripture away. You can't excise or cut out pieces of the text thinking you're somehow saving the Bible. And it's like people who embrace certain ideas that are uncritical, they can't see what they've lost and they can't see what they've imbibed. What does that mean? It's like, I, I know one of my friends was at a, a particular place and they told him, Brother Cox, you can't use scripture to interpret scripture. He said, uh, what? 
You mean, you, I can't read Luke's theology into Paul. Don't you believe in one author of scripture? Holy men of old wrote as they were moved on by the Holy Ghost. And the problem with that teacher is that he doesn't understand the ground that he's lost. Don't you glad that there's only one author of scripture? You don't have to figure out all the contradictions and different philosophies that each writer had, but the Lord gave us a word that was united. And he says it cannot be broken. They're hopelessly mired in, in presuppositions that are anti-intellectual, and now they're calling it immoral. Brother Brahman, and at, at the seminary I went to, was not, uh, it was not apostolic in any stretch of the imagination. I had two lady instructors dating each other. They were not Christian theological seminary, not really Christian theological seminary. Um, and and they, were, they, were, they would say things like this. Well, some people believe in like divine penmanship. And that was a way to uh, mock and to make fun and say, you believe in divine penmanship as if God had them right. And I said, that's me back here. I believe, that's me. I believe in, call me names. I don't care. I believe in divine penmanship. That's me. Why? Because I don't care what you say. I have the praise of heaven. When my eyes, when the eyes of my Lord are on me, I don't care what the eyes of me, I don't care what the culture says about me. I don't care what schools say about me. I have to get to the place where I say the only eyes that matter are the eyes of heaven. They make accommodations, and, uh, and the beauty is our sovereign Lord has chosen graciously to bind himself to his people with an inerrant word. That is a beautiful thing to understand so that we, as weak as we are, might have what the apostle says in Hebrews 6.19, a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. You don't have to wonder whether or not I have direction from God. I can go and pick up this book and read the words and know that I have the words of eternal life. I have direction for my family and direction for my marriage from God on high. So I'm, I'm going to close tonight. I've been going about 30 minutes. Forgive me. So I'm going to close tonight with a little motivation. I, I couldn't figure out what the Lord really wanted me to do, so I hope this was okay. I'm going to give uh, what I gave to IBC as a closing challenge to uh, last year's seniors. IBC graduated its largest uh, class last, uh, last semester, last year. And so I, I, if you'll allow me, I want to share, Brother Herbst, I, I, I found out that I had... Uh, just about uh, two minutes to challenge them again. Now, Abraham Lincoln said, if you want me to talk for an hour, I can go right now. If you want me to talk for a half hour, I need a day. If you want to talk for 15 minutes or less, I need at least a month. And so I, uh, my wonderful friend, who I'm going to pray that the Lord gives him the wonderful opportunity he gave me, uh, is uh, Brother Chris Henderson let me know uh, uh, two days before that that I had two minutes. So I needed a month to do something like that. So I just worked more to work. So if you'll pardon me, I want to read that as a and challenge, not only to seniors, but to how many of you want to make a difference? So I want to read this. I want to get the heart of what God was saying through the Apostle Paul. I want to make sure that at the end of my life, I can stand and say, I am free from the blood of all men. Why? Because I've not, I've not shunned to declare all the counsel of God. I don't want to get to heaven with blood on my hands. I want to make sure that I'm doing the word of the Lord. So I, I, if you'll pardon me, I'll just kind of read tonight. I, I said to them, congratulations, seniors of 2021. Thank you for your excellence and dedication to finish well. I get one more two-minute shot at you, so if the guests will excuse perhaps my lack of decorum, I will speak directly to you. 
You are here tonight as the visible substance of much effort, love, care, and investment. You're the culmination of so much of our joy, thankfulness, hopes, yes, even our expectations and needs. God's work needs apostolic ministers. I want to point out that you're graduating at exactly the right time. The world is complex, but the world is looking for answers. The more the plans fail, seemingly the more the planners plans, but the truth is Dr. Fauci doesn't really know what he's talking about. The problem with the worldly wise is what Ronald Reagan said, Ronald Reagan said about his well-meaning liberal colleagues. It's not that they're ignorant, they just know so much that isn't so. But you're not at this moment unprepared. Institutions intend to form you, to form you for freedom. IBC intends to form you through the disciplines that scripture clearly names for the highest freedom, the freedom to be and to do what you should. And you need to thank God every day that your pastor stands in this pulpit and thunders away from a book that's inerrant and says that God wants to form you for the greatest freedom that you can experience, which is the freedom to be and to do what you should. I said, IBC is intended to, first of all, form your thinking, academics, because you will have nothing to offer that's better than God's plan. Number two, to form your heart, your spiritual side, because you can only minister from a seed of the will and the passions, and without character and love for truth, you will not affect much. We've intended to form you relationally or socially because true power is influence, and that's only one through loving and serving and effectively ministering to God's people. And I said, that means power is a responsibility that God trusts to those who serve him love his people, and who are invested in his work. So being formed for freedom in this capacity, uh, that, that true ability is to live out your calling. And from that bedrock conviction, we felt as we prayed for you in countless classes and chapels, and we've seen in you as you've ministered here, and as you've responded to what's been taught and sang and preached into you, so now you can go do this for others. I want you to remain convinced that the baptism of the Holy Ghost is the only revolution in this world. Invest your ministry in the greatest agent of change in the world that was poured out on the day of Pentecost. It will be a fight, but you've been made for war. Scripture does not merely say the truth sets you free, it makes you free, and you understand what that means now in a much deeper way, having been shaped and formed and prepared to fight the good fight of faith. That means we seek no peace with this world, no quarter, no compromise. When people ask, what do they mean by peace? Or do they mean they want to be left in peace? But those destined for victory need seek no appeasement. And I refuse to make a contribution to the death of the church. Then if you'll pardon me tonight, I I talk candidly from my heart, heart to them. There's a caution, and it's a caution that's in our time. It's tied to the spirit of the age. I said, beware the lust of respectability. I want to remind you tonight that it's a secular virtue. And if the day arrives that your chief desire lies in being accepted by an entire irreligious culture, an entirely irreligious world, in pursuit of entirely irreligious respect, then you will have the reward here in the culture, but that will be your only reward. And the fix is simply this, 
Only be concerned and consumed with the eyes of heaven and never surrender your ministry to the hostage of applause. Then you will have the praise of heaven. And we trust now that you know you are simply one who has become an instrument of God, who has lost your will and his will and traded your small dreams for heavens so that you're not really have lost your will at all, but truly found it in your submission to him and to his plans that are so far beyond ours. And I closed and I told them, I pray for each of you that the world would be a better and heaven be richer through your life of service to him. So here's my challenge, maybe not so much to your mind, but to your heart tonight. I got to make sure that I am on the right side of this fight in a culturally harsh time so that I can really affect change in my world. How many of you want to be a faithful servant of the Lord? Well, I'm going to take a risk tonight. I want you to stand with me. Tomorrow I'm going to spend a little time talking about the apostolic view of inspiration and inerrancy and preservation. And, and that's going to be, I think, the main attack that I, I want to deal with tomorrow. But I, I, I know that the Lord is preparing many of you in the relationships you have to have an effect. But see, here's what you have to do. You have to make sure that I count the worthless praise of men but lost. It's that great writer Thoreau Harris wrote in his psalm baptized in Jesus' name. If it costs me every relationship, Brother Herbst, I don't care. I want a relationship with my Lord. All that's going to matter at the end of the day is when I hear him say, well done, thou good, and not, not, not talented servant, not charismatic servant, not powerful servant. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joys of the Lord. Would you bow your head with me? Lord, I thank you for this wonderful group of people. I thank you for what you're doing in this city. I thank you. Thank you for listening to our podcast this week. We hope you enjoyed this message. Remember, if you would like to find out more information about our church or to contact us, please go online at connectpointupc.com. And also don't forget to subscribe in your podcast app so you will be automatically notified of new episodes. Thank you and we hope you have a great week.